0: This is Speak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Morgan Lee Fogg, co founder of Nautical Farms. Nautical Farms is regeneratively ocean farming seaweed off the coast of Maine. If you are unfamiliar with regenerative ocean farming, you're going to really enjoy learning about it. I love it, it's amazing. Seaweed is grown off the coast. It creates a halo effect in the ocean where marine life is able to flourish and Massive amounts of carbon dioxide are sequestered this way. Seaweed is amazing in this fashion. It's also a multifaceted tool. It's able to be used as a nutritional supplement where we are able to access iodine, a really powerful micronutrient. Seaweed also is great in your culinary practice. It adds umami. I add it to my bone broth and it elevates the nutrition of the bone broth and the taste and flavor of it. They've also got some bathtub elixirs to elevate your bathtub time. There's there's a lot of great things coming out of this space and, and this farm and this company. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation. hope you do as well. The, um, the other thing I wanted to say was that there, there's this cool aspect of seaweed where it can be used to replace plastic in the future for, for packaging, biodegradable packaging, which is just awesome. And this, this is just a small slice of the amazing aspects of nautical farms and their regeneratively ocean farmed kelp. You can receive 20% off nautical farms with the code Earth down below. I received no kickback for this. This is simply because I authentically enjoy the product and I wanted to provide a promo code for anyone who listens and is inspired to try some yourself. So that's down below. And if you'd like to contribute to Peak Earth, um, here are a few ways. One, you could leave a five-star review on the Apple app or Spotify app. Two, you could share an episode across social media. Three, you could go out there and be your best self. Go carpe the dm. That's it, that's enough of me rambling. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you. Hope you enjoy this episode with Morgan. How are you?
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning.
0: Absolutely excited to join you. It's, yeah, it's, um, let's see, 8.30 here, 11.30. Where are you? We're on kind of opposite ends of of the country. You're up in coastal Maine. I'm down in coastal Southern California. And how's, what's it like out there right now?
1: Uh, Right now, well, today it's a little bit overcast, but it's not windy, which I'm really thankful for. We've been, we get a lot of winds, especially where we're located here on on the coast. We have a great ocean view, which is beautiful, but we get a lot of that ocean breeze um and most of the time it's not breeze breeze is like a very gentler much gentler term for i think what we get (laughs) um it gets pretty intense up here but yeah it's starting to slowly warm up which i'm also really grateful for um this feels feels nice to feel the sunshine
0: yeah that's spring spring weather is so nice when it starts starts to come on how was the what was the winter like was it a harsh one
1: it actually wasn't that bad this year. Um, I don't know, maybe I should be like knocking on wood as I say that, um, it like never really ends here until like may actually. So we do have a couple of months that it could pick up. Um, but yeah, no, I would say overall it was, it was fairly warm, which I think is both good and bad. You know, I mean, it's good for me um, personally, but I think environmentally it's, it's probably not great. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, it it wasn't bad, thankfully.
0: <laughs> nice. I grew up in New Hampshire, so I, I'm familiar with the, the New England weather where it can definitely be harsh sometimes.
1: Oh amazing. Uh where in New Hampshire did you grow up?
0: Bedford, so a small town outside of Manchester in, in southern New Hampshire.
1: Oh very cool. Very cool. What brought you to LA? Can I ask you that?
0: Sure. I <laughs> I've been out here seven seven uh summers now, so it's it was uh yeah, time time flies when there's like no seasons. It's been like one long season <laughs> essentially, and it was, that was like the primary draw. It was just like climate was a big one, but then also culture and, and opportunity. Now that we live in a you know remote work environment, kind of like anyone can get a job anywhere. But like back, you know, back then you kind of had to go in person and like yeah, <laughs> get the job. So that that was a big big draw to it, um, and I've I've enjoyed it. I, I I love it I love it here, but I don't know if I'll stay here long term. So I was kind, of kind of also thinking like, where am I gonna live next? The city's, city life is getting a little bit too too crazy for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I can totally I can totally see that. I actually moved. Um, I, I grew up in Maine, so I, I grew up in like central Maine, um, a couple hours south and um, inland to where I live now. Um, but in my early 20s, Jake and I, my fiance, we actually moved to Colorado and lived in Colorado for several years, which was absolutely amazing. I loved it. He was kind of like, I can't wait to get back home, but like, I know you love it, so I'll put up with it sort of thing for several years. Um, but he's just not a city guy, so he's you know, he's much more comfortable um, on the coast of Maine. But uh, yeah, I started working remotely actually out in Colorado and I've been doing it now for over a decade. But it is interesting because had, I think, things not shifted and more opportunities came online, so to speak, um, I don't know what I would be doing if we had moved back here. Um, I mean, we do have our farm, you know, which is like, it's very seasonal. Um, our business part of it runs all year round, but the farming itself is incredibly seasonal. Um, so, yeah, I do a lot of things online throughout the year. But I'm I'm thankful that, I don't know, maybe people are... are joining that movement a little bit more. I don't know how much other people like it as a whole, (laughs) society as a whole. I know some people get lonely, um, but I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's same. And you mentioned mentioned your farm, that's nautical farms and ocean farm, where you've got seaweed and and, and kelp growing. I think last I I heard on, on a recent podcast episode, I listened to you've got three different kinds of brown kelp growing currently.
1: Yeah, we um, started with just one and we've uh, grown over the last five years to three. So we grow sugar kelp, skinny kelp, and Elaria. So they're all just brown types of kelps. They um, would kind of be, uh, they look structurally different, but kind of similar to what you guys have out in California to like your bull kelp or your giant kelp. Um, They don't get as big, but um, sort of, sort of similar, um, and kind of similar, uh, taste profiles as well. Very kind of like salty sea vegetables. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we're, we're hoping to add even more to that. I would love to grow dulse next. Dulse is a super popular one here on the the East coast. And I think nationally becoming a little bit more popular. There was, um, a lot of buzz around it maybe a year or two ago about, um, when you fry it up, it tastes like bacon. And so people were pretty excited about that.
0: I have, um, I have some dulse. I keep it in my freezer and I'll add some when I make bone broth because it adds a little bit of umami depth and then also yeah. quite a bit of nutrition to it as well. And it's very easy to just add a little to the batch before you slow cook it. And it, it really amplifies the nutrition to a whole other level as opposed to just keeping it um, from bones or whatever else you put in there, just the oceanic minerals. And, and that is, is a very unique nutrition complex that that adds quite a bit to the to the entire experience
1: yeah oh, I love that I love that you're using seaweed and you're cooking it's so fun yeah there's so many different things you can do with it too which is like you know so many people think of like sushi or I think like a miso soup or something along that line like a or ramen maybe um, but yeah we just made some cookies actually um, last week that were amazing. Definitely not a healthy recipe, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, tastes great <laughs> with,
0: with, with some kelp, kelp cookies.
1: Yeah. We, um, put our sugar kelp in them. So they were, um, kind of like, it was kind of a nice spin on a traditional chocolate chip cookie, a little bit of cinnamon. I like cinnamon in my chocolate chip cookies. So we added some cinnamon and then sugar kelp. So instead of using salt, Um, And there's a decent amount of salt in a good batch of chocolate chip cookies. We replace that with sugar kelp because that's naturally salty. So you get some of the nutrients, but I don't know how much that's counteracted with the sugar that's in them. But
0: (laughs) Nice. That sounds good. It it does seem like something that can be almost added in any recipe that would call for salt and just amplify the nutrition profile of, of whatever that thing is that you're eating.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love telling people that if you're new to eating seaweed, just use it as a salt alternative and start there. Um, sprinkle it onto your eggs, into yeah, soups, breads. I mean, whatever, whatever calls for a little bit of salt, and start with just a little bit of just a little, you know, a little bit goes a long way. And then if you like it, you can add a little bit more, add a little bit more, um, and then get really creative with it. But yeah, some people are, you know, a little bit. Um, maybe hesitant to try it because they're not so sure um, either whether it's the salt or some people just don't like that sort of like seafoody flavor that sometimes seaweeds have um, or even, you know, seafoods fish have. Um, so yeah, a little bit little bit goes a long way. I love telling people just use it as a salt alternative. Start there.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great place to start. And I, I remember where I first came across what you were doing was through Farmers Footprint, amazing nonprofit run by Zach Bush, who was just like really admire his work. I've always just found everything that he talks about and does just like really amazing. And and then you come you 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 came onto the, that podcast, Farmers Footprint, and we're describing regenerative ocean farming. So it was like this combination of two things that I, I love, the ocean and regenerative farming. It blew <laughs> my mind, which was just like the coolest thing in the world. I didn't even realize that it was even possible. How how did you like get into it and, and get started it, it seems like something because the oceans what well, that's just like nobody kind of owns it right Where you are just like going out maybe leasing leasing land on it setting up sort of the structure and then and then you're off to the races or like how, how'd that kind of play out
1: yeah um yeah so we do lease a part of the ocean um so we go through the um here in maine it's the department of marine resources and there's some other sort of organizations that are attached to that that Um, You put through a lease through the state of Maine and they either approve it or deny it. And um, it's it's a little bit of a process, although I will say the state of Maine, it's you know, we're such a long standing aquaculture and um, fishing state. It's just so it's like so ingrained here that um, I think we definitely the wheels move a little bit quicker than maybe they do in California or Oregon, Washington, some of the states on the West Coast where. Seaweed farming and aquaculture and things like that are starting to, I think, pick up a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so um, I mean, going way back, we, we got into it um, really just like on our own like health journey. It was like a combination. It was like seaweed for me was like one of those things that was like maybe like very serendipitous, but also it was like one of those like words that you never hear. And then all of a sudden it starts coming into your sphere and you're hearing it literally everywhere. Um, so I was hearing it from people that I worked with. I was hearing about it, um, on my like Facebook feed, there was like, you know, these little videos that would pop up about the benefits of seaweed and things. Um, and so it was kind of just like coming at me at all angles. And, um, at the time I was living in Colorado, Jake and I were living in Colorado. And, um, like I had mentioned before, I think Jake was like really itching to get out of there. And so I kind of just said to him, like, what if we started a seaweed farm? And he's like, uh, I don't know, like that's kind of crazy, but he was also like, yeah, if it gets me back home to the ocean, he grew up as a lobster fisherman and, you know, uh, he dug clams and scallop dragged and I mean, you name it, he's done it um, at some, at some point in his life. And so um, he was really itching to get back to the ocean. And so, um, yeah, so he was kind of like initially like really on board and then we had to logistically just like figure out what that meant. Like, how do we move our lives back? to the East coast and like, what does it look like to start a seaweed farm? What is that investment? How do you even go about doing that? Um, And so, yeah, we started just by like interviewing a lot of people. Uh, We were really, really fortunate that there was, there was not a lot of resources online at the time, which I think has definitely changed now. Um, You know, fast forward five, six years later, it's like, there's way more online about, how to start a seaweed farm or or get into regenerative aquaculture whether it's oysters or mussels whatever you're into um but that was not the case i think there was like one There was like one manual (laughs) that existed at the time online that like everybody referred to they were like go download this manual and it will like tell you all the secrets and we were like okay so um that was helpful to an extent but you know you can only learn so much from like a 30 page aquaculture manual so um but yeah we were really fortunate that we got a hold of people who were like willing to just like spend hours and hours on the phone with us and we'd interview them and um thankfully with Jake's background as well growing up on the water there was a lot of things that he kind of was able to bypass very quickly in terms of like you know we had experience on a boat and he knows how to like tie marine knots and um set up gear and he knew the names of all the different buoys and like things that you know somebody like maybe me who didn't have that background would take a lot longer to learn um but yeah we we kind of went through that entire process and then moved back and and got it started. Another like kind of, I would say hurdle in that beginning, uh, stage was like just convincing our community to kind of get on board. We live in a really, really tiny community and tiny. I mean, when we moved here, it was like 3000 people, I think in our town. Um, so there's some surrounding towns, of course, that make up a bigger County that we live in, but it's all, they're all very small. And, um, the majority of people are clam diggers or, Um, fishermen that work on the water. I should say not the majority as a whole. I mean, there's a good amount, there's a good mix, but um, the people that kind of work on the water are lobster fishermen. And so when we came in and we're kind of like, we're going to lease this part of the ocean and we're going to like, you know, grow seaweed. They're like, that's not going to work. And no way are you getting in our way to do that. And so we really had to, like, go through this, like, education process and, like, you know, explain to them, like, we're not going to be in your way, but also we farm an opposite season of lobster fishing, which I think a lot of people don't realize, actually. So lobster fishermen kind of pick up. Um, of course, there's some that go all year round and they, they can do that offshore um, in the winter. But a lot of them go from, like, right about now, they'll start um, maybe in a couple more weeks as things start to warm up. But um, and then they'll go all like fall into the kind of early, early winter. But we actually start farming um, in the late fall, early winter. So it's a kind of an opposite season. So yeah, it was like a fun, like it was a fun exercise for us to go to because we didn't think that we were going to get pushback from our own community like that. Um, But we learned a lot. We learned a lot about like, you know, really like what they care about and, and how we can work together and also educate them about like the opportunities within seaweed, which, um, now again, fast forward, like a couple of years, uh, many of those people are coming to us and being like, wow, this is really cool what you guys are doing. Like maybe you can teach me how to do it, which is a really fun, fun position
0: to be in. That is awesome. How, how old were you around that, that time?
1: Oh, um, I think I was 26, maybe, um 26, 27. twenty-seven. I think I'm thirty-one now. <laughs> I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, after I turn 30, I don't I don't know what age I am anymore. But I think <laughs> <Yeah>. 31.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Just just turned 33. I'm just trying to like kind of keep it keep it you know, around that age. But that was that was when I moved out here. I was I was around my, my mid twenties, I think twenty-five. That's an age where like things kind of I guess like a quarter life crisis can happen where you're like yeah. all of a sudden need to change.
1: Yeah, totally. Totally. I think it's a fun time, too, because I i mean, at least for me personally, I um, I was kind of game for anything. You know, I was like and I was really like um, <laughs> I was really kind of like, I don't know, maybe risky or like is the word um, like when we moved out to Colorado in our early 20s, we um, we didn't have jobs. We didn't have a place to live. I mean, we like literally packed our vehicles and we're just like, we're going to go and we're going to see what happens um, which was insane now to think about. Like, I just, I don't even know if I would do that again ever in my lifetime. Like, I don't, I don't really know what we were thinking. Um, I mean, we weren't really, you know, and it was funny too. I remember like getting there, um, to Colorado and like realizing just like the way that people lived was so different or like the things that people paid attention to. Like we had never even as simple as like had to pay for trash, you know, or like Um, street sweeping, we were like, what the heck? We were getting tickets on our cars for like street sweeping, you know? So it's like all these like adjustments that we had to make, um, which was like really fun. But yeah, we loved it. It was like, it was a fun, it was a fun, risky thing to do at the time. And then yeah, getting into seaweed farming, it was like the same thing. It was like, I didn't have any background in seaweed at all. Um, I mean, Jake grew up on the water, but like, we didn't really know what we were doing. And we were just like, yeah, let's just see what happens, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Hopefully we float. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome. I, I love that that story, just just going for it really in, in both, you know, both directions. And it one of part of that the funny um, realizations of how, how other people's other people live. It reminds me coming here where it never really gets cold, like maybe it'll be low 60s, high 50s, and people are bundled up like it's like there's a blizzard coming. In. <laughs> it's just so funny growing up, like being from New England where it's just, this is, you know, it's a nice summer day. I'm out in shorts and a t-shirt and they're just like bundled
1: up. You grew up in like actual snow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's really funny. And then I was also thinking while you were describing um, the seaweed industry and how it was kind of coming at you from all angles, it is still kind of like, I guess, I don't want to say niche, but somewhat under underrated in in a lot of ways. And I, I wonder if, if maybe some of that is because it's, it's like, when you, when I see it on the beach, like the common perception is like, oh, that's like debris or or some sort of like detritus, and even the name seaweed sort of implies that it's like a weed. Where people look at plants and they term them as weeds, and it's if they're supposed to be like pulled out, and not worthy of like growing. It's, it's so bizarre <laughs> the, the concept of a weed. I wonder if that you know plays plays some role in it, or even, maybe it's just Western culture because I know it's it's much more revered in, in the East, where it's, it's commonly incorporated into into culinary. Um, uses of all kinds, like sushi is probably the most popular one that people are familiar with, with, with the nori roll, always wrapped in seaweed. But I don't know, I kind of went on a bit of a rant and a rave there. But I wonder if any of that that lands for you.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I actually I was listening to a podcast. Um, I think it was like last week. And it was like a seaweed, seaweed based podcast. And somebody was saying that we really need to like rebrand seaweed. Because yeah, the name is, doesn't really do it justice, um, which I totally agree with. And I never really had thought about it like that before. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think too a lot of people when we think of seaweed, um, I mean, I guess it d- totally depends on where you grow up. Um, but I, I know that like growing up in central Maine, what I thought of seaweed as was the gross grass that grew up in the lake that I, you know, was like, swimming in as a kid and things like that. I never, we never ate seaweed. We never, I mean, we ate a lot of seafood living in Maine. We ate a lot of lobster and fish and different things, but we never cooked with seaweed in my home. Um, so yeah, I always thought of it as like this disgusting thing that was like touching me in the lake, you know, as I'm like swimming or, you know, I would see like little algae blooms and like ponds and things like that, but I didn't, I never, um, I never really thought about it in terms of like, you know, like these big brown, beautiful kelps that you see like in the ocean. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of depends on depends on where you live, but I do think that we should rebrand seaweed and um, come up with a, I don't know, a lot of people refer to it as like a sea vegetable, uh, which can be a little confusing for some people because it's not actually a vegetable. So yeah, we need to come up with like some name <laughs> here in the US that we can all agree on. Um, that I think makes it sound a little bit a little bit more appealing because it is amazing both health wise and environmentally.
0: It is. Did you ever watch that um, documentary came out maybe a couple of years ago called Fantastic Fungi or Fantastic Fungi?
1: Yes. Um, is it Paul Stamets?
0: I think he was in, is it. He in it. It was. Uh, yeah, he was. It was all about mushrooms, and it, I feel like that it yeah. was really popular. And now, like mushrooms are so cool, everyone's like really in the mushrooms. It seems like so. I I was watching seaweed and, and kelp and and it reminded me of that it's just it's similar to fungi or mushroom in the sense where it's not like a plant or an animal it's like kind of something else on its own thing and it, it is very beautiful down there in the ocean the way it works synergistically with the rest of the ultra life uh, ocean life within the the aquaculture because it, you know it's like a home for animals and, and food for for all the other creatures down there and it's a part of it an amazing part of our ecosystem that is really just like yeah, under under sort of played in across across our culture, and it is really quite amazing. Really similar to to fungi in, in my mind.
1: Yeah, it is actually. I've definitely told people before that seaweed is like the mushroom of the ocean. It's like, it's incredibly similar. And there's also just like, there's so many different types of mushrooms. There's so many different types of seaweeds and they all have their own benefits and nutritional value and um, different things that they provide us both environmentally and health wise. Um, Yeah, totally. I love that. I love that analogy. I think that they, they definitely go hand in hand. And I really hope that um mushrooms have become like very mainstream I think um they're you know they're in everything they're mushroom coffee, mushroom tea it's like you can find mushrooms everywhere which I love um, and I hope that seaweed is that same you know is that same way. I hope that it becomes that popular where it's like you're you can kind of just get it in everything and everywhere. <laughs> we'll see there's still some yep. still some work to do but
0: that's absolutely that that is a strong potential feature I think especially when you you tie in to some of the regenerative benefits that that are there and and how we're not really you know if you look at it from an economic efficiency perspective like there's a lot of open available potential activity that we, that we can have out in our ocean that that can be used for aquaculture for regenerative seaweed farming and and I imagine thinking about the lobster farmers or uh Lobster fisher fishermen, what the, the, the people, your community the, that you are working with. Yeah, I imagine that the farming that you're doing is sort of amplifies the life and, and creates more lobsters, healthier lobsters that they'll be able to fish during their harvest season. Is that is that true? The way that works?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's incredibly beneficial for the environment. So it it does a, a, a whole bunch of different things, and it kind of depends on like what the seaweed is and where it grows, but. Um, It definitely can like um, create marine protected areas. So um, some seaweeds provide shelter for small crabs and small lobsters to grow until they kind of like, you know, evolve and and get deeper into the ocean. Um, So that's definitely a huge benefit. There's obviously it's used as a food for, for many different types of species and organisms and things like that. Um, But seaweed also, as it grows, because it is a great sequester of carbon and nitrogen and phosphorus, and it's a great, amazing filter, um, essentially, um, it creates what's called a halo effect in the water, which is really cool. So there's actually um, been studies that have shown that when you grow seaweed in close proximity to things like um, shellfish, mussels, oysters—all of these different things—it um, actually helps harden the shells of those species and helps protect them against different diseases and things like that. So, yeah, it's incredibly—it's incredibly beneficial for the for the wildlife, so to speak, or the marine life within the ocean, surrounding you know, surrounding where it grows, which is really cool. And I, I would love to do. Some sort of study someday. I don't know if anybody's ever worked on this actually, but um, like how seaweed farming can potentially impact lobster fishing because I don't know that that's really been studied so much. Um, but I know like there's been a lot around growing oysters and mussels and those sort of those sort of fish if we want to call them that shellfish.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and it's I guess applying principles from regenerative farming on on the land where the chickens and the cows and the and the pigs and, and the crops are all kind of used synergistically and holistically in a way where each one kind of plays off the other and, and the entire process is amplified from, you know, the sum of the parts become greater than than the whole. And, and or so I reverse that the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. But yeah. It's this entire beautiful, intricate system working in harmony. And I imagine a similar thing is going on in the ocean underwater where we can't really see it but it's, it's got to be it's got to be happening on that level where more life brings more life and biodiversity is really just like that's the key within our ecosystem there's a lot, there's a lot of talk about carbon and, and that's cool but it leads people to think oh, we need to build big like air filter machines to like, capture the carbon. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's completely insane. We we'd need more regenerative farms because then we're, we'll capture the carbon, but then we'll also be creating nutrient-dense food and jobs and, and beautiful landscapes. And we can do that in the ocean too. It's just, it's amazing. It blows my mind. I, I love it.
1: Yeah, it's it's so cool. It really is so cool. And I think I think it will become more and more important. I think we're seeing this on land too, Um Where regenerative farming is becoming more important purely just because of the, you know, our topsoil is eroding and our food is becoming less nutrient dense. And if we can utilize seaweed to, um, you know, help mitigate climate change. And then also use it as a nutrient dense food, but then also seaweed is incredible as a fertilizer, um, and it's been used for a really long time as a fertilizer. That's not a new concept at all. There's definitely new companies and you know popping up and people creating really cool things out of seaweed. Um, but people have been, you know, pulling it off the rocks on, in coastal communities forever and throwing it in their garden um, because it does provide so much to our soil so, um, and puts nutrients back into the soil for our food. So, um, yeah, I think it'll become more and more important as we, especially as our, um, you know, our population grows, it can, we can grow a ton of seaweed in small footprints, um, but also provide really nutrient dense food. So, um, yeah, it has huge, huge potential. I'm, I'm really excited to see where the, where the industry goes. There's, and there's, I mean, sky's the limit. There's so many cool things that are being made out of seaweed. It's so fun.
0: Yeah, you I heard you elaborating on, on another podcast episode about, even packaging, um, biodegradable plant-based packaging being made out of seaweed and and various different kinds of algae, which is so cool as well, because the the plastic is, that's another thing that's just getting out of control, especially in along coastal communities. Like we really see it washing up on the beach and and in the ocean. And it's just, yeah, that would be amazing to have some sort of biodegradable packaging. I love this vision of, of packaging where you can just kind of throw it out the window and it becomes nourishment for the soil where it lands. And that's this concept of a circular economy where everything that we have is biodegradable in a way where it's like nourishing the soil. And imagine that coming from something like a regenerative ocean farm where we've got this amazing circular sort of ecosystem, harmonious uh, you know, entire process from, from start to finish. That would be such a, a beautiful world to live in. And it's a possibility.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I I agree. I absolutely love that idea. I think all the time when we're creating anything new for nautical farms or even just like, I don't know, when I when I just think about our business in general, I always think of the word like reciprocity. And I've said this before, but like I, I just always try to imagine how we can constantly be creating that like circular relationship with things. Um, and so we try to, you know, nothing that we do is like with plastic. We try to not put anything in, in plastic packaging. Um, even down to like some of our bath products have these like little tags that um, you can just literally throw it out and it will grow wildflowers, which is amazing for bees. And so like I try to like, you know, get creative in ways like that. But um, yeah, seaweed packaging, I am super excited about. I do think that I'm always really careful to talk about seaweed changing the world or like it being sort of this like end all be all like you know situation because I think that people get maybe a little bit too excited about (laughs) about that and I I do think that it's really important to remember a balance that it's not going to be seaweed is not going to literally save the world but it's going to be a piece of how we can change you know change the world um but it's it's a you know a piece of a whole and so um I'm always careful, but I do think that seaweed is going to really re- revolutionize the way that we think about plastics. And I think that the companies that are working on that, um, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited. I'm, I think that it's it's really just beginning. But I think that it'll change, you know, plastic bags and takeout food and um, even even companies like mine being able to get access to packaging that. Is, is sort of like a single use in a way, um, or, you know, a short term use where you can put food in it and then, you know, it's on the shelf, people buy it, they take it home, they use the food and then they throw that out. Um, I, I cannot wait to get access to, to that and have that be more mainstream. And I hope like it also becomes rather quickly, very affordable because I think like one of the big, um, you know, things right now is that it's not that those solutions don't exist at all right now. It's just that the cost of them for small businesses is um, very high. So I hope that we can kind of do both of those things at the same time and um, really create a really cool system where, where yeah, we're like giving back to the planet through our trash. <laughs> How fun would that be? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. That's that's the road that. We all want to live in whether we're aware of it or not that's that's like such a i think a lot of people would maybe say that's not possible but it it is it's like happening on a small scale like you mentioned and it's an amazing amazing challenge to have a package for a food product that is is both like keeps the air out and then is shelf stable and then is also biodegradable it's like kind of boggles the mind like it's a lot of contradictory sort of elements to have within a fabric or material but it, it seems to be people are working on it and having some success it's just a little expensive at the moment and and you did mention that the packaging I one thing that really stands about stands out about your product is how artistic aesthetic uh, beautiful the package is I like to have you know supplements or, or foods it's cool when it's almost like it amplifies the space where it's like oh this is a beautiful thing to have on the shelf did it did it take a long time to design that or like what was that process like coming up with that
1: yeah I think like I um yeah, it, it does. Sometimes it does. And then sometimes I think that <laughs> I also have this problem a lot when I'm thinking of like a product that we want to launch where it's like, I know in my head exactly what I want it to look like. Um, and I what, like, and I know the feel of it and everything. And I can't find it. Like it doesn't exist. I'm like, there's just nobody that's making this like this bottle or like, like, that's just so insane to me. I can't be the only person that's ever thought of like, it looking like this or having this color or I don't know. So, yeah, I think like sometimes it's just challenging to find, um, to find things that are affordable or that I can get my hands on in a, you know, in a way that, um, that feels good for us. We also try to, you know, as much as we can work with like local, local, um, well, I mean, local, local, I mean, also just here in the United States. Um, but like, you know, people that are manufacturing different things, um, as much as we possibly can. So, um, yeah, so that's like another added, added challenge. Um, but yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I, I think like, I just, I love aesthetically beautiful things. I'm a Libra, so I don't know. I think that's like part of our astrology. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like to, I love buying things as well that like add to the space and um, are kind of like art on their own, even though they're maybe functional products. So I, I try to do that with nautical farm stuff as much as possible. Um, and while also trying to remain sustainable, which is an interesting challenge.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, it is. I think so far you've, you've threaded the needle on that from, from what I can tell. And I've, I've been in the, um, natural products space for a long time years like six seven years now and it's so i've tried a lot of different <laughs> supplements and and you know herbs and adaptogens and superfoods and they, a lot of them just come in these like nondescript white bottles and it's like kind of you know it's a little bit boring and, and a little bit it is it's also funny how like every supplement is just like a white powder in a white bottle it's like every single yeah one. <laughs> like, i don't know what's going on there but yeah it makes you it's feel funny. like it's all the same thing <laughs> <laughs> might as well be i don't know it, <laughs> I wonder, that makes me think, um, I, w- I wonder if like kelp or seaweed could be termed as, as an adaptogen. I know that's like a a, a big, you know, buzzy word now with, with a lot of the mushrooms and a lot of the various herbs that are, that are coming from, like the Amazon rainforest or what have you. I, do, have you thought about that at all or had any sort of experience with that?
1: I haven't, actually. That's really interesting. I guess I don't know, maybe you know more about this than I do, but I don't really know what makes an adaptogen an adaptogen, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I definitely know the word and I know mushrooms fall within that category. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, but that would be an interesting, maybe marketing word to use if it if it worked.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not completely positive there are like strict definitions, but it, there seems to be something interesting with a lot of those mushrooms or the nature of it as an adaptogen is where it kind of goes into the body and like changes and addresses what needs to be addressed somehow like there's some sort of innate Mm. intelligence to the thing that makes it an adaptogen which who knows if that's even real or or something that was made up along the way right (laughs) that's like the the core of of what like an adaptogen is and it I i mean the other thing is like we know so little about nutrition and and so little about like kelp and seaweed although we know a lot it's like in the grand scheme of things and the way that it like interplays in in health and nutrition and in the biosphere and and like even the seaweed itself I think is probably a fascinating uh, being out there that we haven't quite studied too extensively.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think we don't know the effects on um, there. I mean, I think there's a lot of studying to be doing for our health. I think there's a lot of studying to be doing, a lot of data that can be collected around, um, you know, it being a carbon sequestration tool. And there's a whole bunch of different things. It's just, it's so new. um, And particularly here in the US, we just don't, we just don't have the data. Um, What we do know so far is that it's, you know, it is amazing um, and that it does seem to have a lot of health benefits. It does have a lot of vitamins and minerals and a lot of nutrition. And we do know that it seems to be from, you know, some studies that have been done that, it is incredibly environmentally friendly and um, impactful, um, but to what extent, I think is like where we're at now, or like, we're still kind of like figuring out like to what extent and when it when is too much too much, you know, um, because I think too much of anything is is not never a good thing. So yeah, kind of like putting parameters around that as well. I think we're, we're really at the beginning, I think of that here in the
0: US. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, you must know more about this seaweed does it have a root system? Like, how does it how does it grow?
1: Yeah, so it's. Um, it's- Similar-ish to plants, um, although it's not a plant. So it actually has what is called a holdfast, which is would be, if you think of, you know, a root um, or the roots of a plant that kind of branch out and, and go into the soil. The hold fast is this kind of you know equivalent in seaweed. Um, and it looks actually kind of similar. There's a lot of kind of like branching off points um, that, you know, stem from the the stem um, of the seaweed, which is actually in seaweed, is called the stipe. Um, and so yeah, it's it kind of just like grabs right onto something and wraps around it tightly. And then it will just grow from there and it can sustain um pretty, pretty intense weather and waves and all of that stuff. It can get, you know, pretty, pretty knocked around. Um, it really is kind of like a very hardy species um and a a plant if we want to refer to it as a plant it it can be like very very strong um there's times when it's incredibly sensitive um like when we are planting it when it's really really tiny almost microscopic you know small um, it can be really sensitive to weather and things, and then it can be really sensitive once it's harvested as well. The structures are, while they're different, they they are a little bit similar where you have the holdfast that holds on, you know, kind of like your root system. Then you have your stipe or your stem, and then you have the leafy part of whatever the, whatever the seaweed species is, um, which can look like... Um, different different plants or it can just look like a very long leaf one great big long leaf Um, so it kind of depends on the species but uh, similar but different Um, but they they also use um, you know photosynthesis and they're like a filtration system essentially to to grow Um, so yeah
0: beautiful i like that image of of them just long flowing flowing in the water and I can see a lot of all these like amazing nature documentaries where they've got these underwater shots and you you just see that the seaweed is sort of flowing sort of in the underwater current and there's like kind of fish bobbing and weaving around them. It's just like such an important part of of the underwater system. And it is another part of your process that that I find awesome is, is the way that you harvest it. So it's hand harvested and then dried in the sun. And is that the kind of correct way? That yeah,
1: that's what we do. Um, there's lots of ways that people process and and um, and dry seaweed, whether it's uh, or some people don't even dry it at all. Some people kind of pull it, they uh, blanch it, and then flash freeze it. So it goes on to be a frozen product of some kind or frozen until it's turned into something. Um, yeah, but we, we harvest it. So we essentially hoist the lines up, um, from the water. So they, they, everything is, you know, I like to tell people, if you imagine like a vertical underwater garden, that's probably the best way to imagine what it looks like underwater. It's a series of ropes and buoys and it's, um, sits on average about six feet below the surface of the water. Um, and we add different flotation and weight to keep it at that depth as it grows, um, which is also a fun challenge sometimes. Um, but yeah, so then we, we kind of like hoist those lines up on a boat and people do that in different ways as well. Um, some people have it go right over the top of their boat. Some people do it off the side of the boat. Um, so there's different, different techniques for sure. Um, and then, yeah, we kind of just chop it, chop it right off the line. It's a pretty fairly quick process. Really? There's no, um, I don't know, kind of weeding through it or anything. It's kind of just like grabbing it in big chunks and, and chopping it off. And then we put it into a uh, a tote, like a great big tote, um, and just fill those. And then we bring those to an um, area where it gets a lot of sunlight. It's kind of like a big um, open sort of like yard or... Um, not really a field, but sort of. Um, And we have a rope system. So it's, I mean, incredibly, it's like so simple. It's just like ropes hung between, you know, very far apart trees. Um, And we just hang hang the seaweed so it can sun dry. And that process happens pretty quickly. We also this year implementing a greenhouse, which we're really excited for because the coast of Maine weather can be a little bit crazy. So Um, the greenhouse will open up more drying days for us, um, since the greenhouse will kind of, you know, store heat. Um, So that'll be really cool. We're excited for that. But either way, we sun dry, we find it to be, it's, you know, incredibly economically friendly. um, And it doesn't require any extra energy. Um, So we try to, again, go back and, you know, going back to sustainability, we really, we started Nautical Farms, because we love we wanted to be a part of regenerative food systems, but also, we really like love the environment. And so like, how can we continue to create and build without doing more harm <laughs> in any way? Um, and so we found that that's the easiest way for us. It just makes the most sense. And we luckily live in a place where we can do that. Not everybody, you know, lives in an area that we have as much land as, as we do, or, you know, some people are in more city environments. And so that's not as possible, but um, yeah, it works for us. It's a little bit Maybe slower. I don't know. Maybe so some people say it's slower. Um, I don't mind slow. I think it's it's maybe a little bit more intentional. So, but yeah, it's a it's a fun process. It does take some time.
0: Nice. Yeah, slow is slow is good when it comes to food. I think, and and it seems to be where there's there's a rhythm and a and a pace to this. And the faster they try and speed it up, the more it gets sort of fractured and discombobulated with a lot of the yeah the food <laughs> and stuff. Do you do you find yourself? Yeah drawn to any other sort of forms of of farming in your your area as as you kind of think about the future of of your life or the the business maybe they're different maybe there's like regenerative farming on on land do you think that's that's something that you're kind of keen to, to check out
1: um i don't know i mean i i do like have this like sometimes these daydreams of me being like oh i'm gonna like yeah i'm gonna like start a farm like i'm gonna get some chickens And like, you know, these little farm animals and I'm going to have a garden. Um, I don't know if that'll ever become a reality. (laughs) Um, Sometimes also just because the seaweed farming season, like I've been wanting to start even just a garden. Like I I definitely have grown vegetables and different herbs and things in pots, but I've never started like a real garden, which I would love to have like an actual garden space. Last year I did like clean out an area um, where... I had that, but, um, or I could start one, I should say. Um, But yeah, I never, I haven't done that, like actually made the commitment to start a garden because it's the seaweed harvest season starts right around the time you would plant a garden. And so it gets a little bit stressful to try to think about doing both at the same time. But I do like as nautical farms, we do really wanna continue to, to experiment with, like right now we're experimenting with mussels growing mussels. Um, We've talked about more recently experimenting with oysters and different sort of regenerative ocean farming. Um, And that's very big in our area anyway. We know those are um, things that we can sell fairly easily within our community and outside of our community. So um, yeah, I think we'll definitely continue to grow within the ocean, but on land, um, it might be a daydream for a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And you said that you're right, pretty much right on the ocean, right? You just, you kind of walk, just walk to the farm right there. Or is it, is it kind of a bit of a ways away?
1: Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, so we have an ocean view from our house. Um, we have a, you know, a great big river that kind of comes up through that we can walk to very easily. Um, our farm itself is actually tucked into the cove of an Island, um, off the coast of Maine. But I would say, I mean, we can get to it. We can drive maybe eight minutes over to where we would launch our boat and then we get in the boat and it's maybe another eight minute boat ride out there. So yeah, if we're moving pretty quickly, we can probably get there in 25 minutes or less, all
0: in all. That's awesome. It's very... Very cool to think about all this, all this playing out and and you're really a trailblazer out, you know, doing it, getting it started before it was even a thing. You had one manual online <laughs> that was you know, the source of truth and and having to like, connect with, call people directly to to have them, you know, sort of mentor and and, and learn just from, the, from their knowledge directly. It's an amazing sort of journey that you've been on in the point where you're at now, where it's kind of building and accumulated to where it can really become a massive, you know, part of, of our of our world in in a really helpful helpful way. Did you ever imagine that it would would get to this point when you first started? And how does it feel like being being on this end of it?
1: Uh no. I definitely did not imagine it. Um in so many ways I didn't imagine where we would be now. I like in one in one way we we didn't even imagine us starting a product business the way that we have it now. Like we purely were just like, we want to farm seaweed and like we just want to offload it and we don't want to worry about what happens really after that. And then pretty quickly we were like, actually no, it would it would be really cool to be a part of that entire system and be able to create products that we we really believe in as well, you know, and like be a part of that entire value chain and create that industry. Um, and so that kind of transitioned and there's so many cool opportunities that we've had. I, I, I never would have imagined that we would have, you know, worked with like the farmer's footprints of the world. And um, we actually last year took part in a um, really cool film that's going to be premiering this, this year on Earth Day. But that was um, in collaboration with the Maine Aquaculture Association and the World Wildlife Fund. And there was a whole bunch of different people involved in that. Um, And we've done a few of those sort of like really cool opportunities. So yeah, I think that it's also like a really fun thing about owning your own business is like, if you're flexible in that way, then you just kind of never know what's going to happen. And I am not somebody who's like a rigid planner. I love to just feel things out and see how things go. Um, So yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, sky's the limit. We'll see what happens. It's super exciting. And who knows what we'll be doing in five years. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we'll go back to only farming seaweed. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Do you you think you'll ever, do you think you'll ever get sick of seaweed where you'll just be like, I can't look at another piece of seaweed again. It's just too much.
1: (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. I think look, people ask us that too about, you know, we live on the coast of Maine and we, we eat lobster all the time. And people are like, I ever just get sick of lobster. I don't. I love it. I like, I don't. I love the taste of it. I think the environmental benefits are amazing. I just, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. I, I think something really extreme would would have to happen for me to feel that way. So yeah, I think even if for some reason I were to leave the, you know, what we're doing, even if it's like, we're gonna shut down our business and and stop farming for, I don't even know what would cause that. But if that were to happen, I think I would still be a huge advocate of people being involved in seaweed. And I would love to, um, you know, stay involved in people, helping people get started. Jake does a lot of consulting in that area of helping people get started and stuff. So I hope that, you know, we can further the industry in some way, regardless of where we're at personally in our lives.
0: Beautiful. And it, it's an amazing journey and, and point where you're at, now, with, with it all, it's it's mind blowing, and I really appreciated you taking the time to to drop in with me and, and sort of share your story and all, everything about seaweed. I feel like this was a wide ranging conversation. I, I'm much more you know knowledgeable about seaweed now, and much more enthusiastic about it than, than I was previously. And I hope everyone listening was able to catch that same vibe because it's it's powerful stuff and, and really amazing and and wonderful part of this emerging new world where we've got these tools available if we are able to work with Mother Nature and, and have this reciprocity where we're thinking about things in, in a way that is honoring both land and food and ocean and air and just, you know, the whole system as one. And it's it's really great thing that you're doing. Is, is there any last sort of thought or, or story that you'd like to share with, with everyone listening?
1: Um. No, I mean, I think we covered a lot. I I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate your curious questions. And um, yeah, just being interested in spreading the word. I think like we need a lot more of that. We need a lot more people talking about it in general. Um, And yeah, I, I appreciate your time as well. It's very cool what you're doing. So it's all a part of the puzzle.
0: Beautiful. It was a pleasure, Morgan. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Talk soon.